Chapter Eight of The Old Ladies by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. May Beringer tries to escape. Deep down in her cellar, Agatha Payne was working. She was working with an energy, an enthusiasm, a fidelity to her new ambition that she had not known for years. She had now a purpose she saw glittering through the thick and misted cellar light the sheen and splendor of the most beautiful treasure of the world her treasure her gold and ruby amber hers always hers stolen from her by that long thin ridiculous old maid whom she could frighten by a whisper terrify with a chuckle she liked so to terrify it gave her hot and sensuous pleasure when she saw the cheeks of that foolish old woman blanch her heart beat thick when she saw tears tremble on those red-rimmed weak eyelids ah she would make them fall before she had done and so her two pleasures went arm in arm together she could lead them both by the hand her lust for power and her lust for that piece of liquid ruby that stout-set bold and scornful dragon standing so firmly on his amber pedestal she was awake as she had not been for years all her energies were active no more lazy lying in her old chair tossing her scarlet slipper in the air no more crumbling of nougat out of its paper packet no more half dreamy watching the silver-finned fish as they sailed with gaping jaws about the room she had work to do and work that must not wait the first thing that must be ascertained was the time when old lucy amherst would receive her money everything depended on that once the old fool was in command of it, very little further effort would be needed. She would ask for a loan of twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred pounds. The old thing would not refuse it. She was a foolish old woman, always wanting to give something away. There was a trouble, then, that that long stick of a Beringer would not wish to sell a present from a friend she had said her dearest friend she could soon be frightened into changing her mind the time would come when she would promise anything in order to be free to be free of what of terror and dismay that she and her wretched dog might go to sleep at nights without a sudden waking there was only a thin wall between the one room and the other so much could be done with a thin wall at midnight but she did not as yet plan anything very terrible only a little fun entering into it with something of the spirit with which one boy bullies another even with a sort of good humour but she must have the red amber it was hers had been hers long before the beringer woman had seen it centuries ago her fingers had closed around its firm cold sides felt its beating strength watched the light slip and coil and unfurl about its heart it had been hers since the beginning of time and it knew it her impatience on the morning after mrs amherst's visit to her solicitor was urgent she could not keep quiet but was dressed before mrs bloxham came in with her breakfast poor mrs amherst said mrs bloxham she's had a bad night couldn't sleep a wink she tells me then she looked at mrs payne with mild surprise you're up early ma'am 
Although she was not naturally very sharp, her interest in the old ladies quickened her observation, and afterwards, when events forced her to look back, she recorded to interested friends her distinct impression that things had been going on. She looked different, all sharp-like, and as though she was listening for something. She was a queer one, that old Mrs. Payne. Not quite right in her head, a long way back, if you ask me. Mrs. Payne, indeed, was very sharp this morning, and it was not long before she was fumbling with the handle of Mrs. Amherst's door. On entering, she suffered quite a shock of surprise at that old lady's appearance. She was not given to thinking of others, especially when, as now, she was herself driven by one dominating desire. But even her almost crazy egotism was pierced by the forlorn, sick appearance that Mrs. Amherst presented. She had not been expecting a visitor, and she sat listlessly at her table, her hands in front of her, her eyes fixed on some distant point. She had always, when Mrs. Payne had seen her, presented a brave front to the world, and something deeply hidden in Mrs. Payne's better part had subconsciously admired that. She was not, however, now moved to any kindness or pity. Her only thought was of the money. "'Good morning!' she said huskily. Mrs. Amorous looked up, and seeing her, passed her hand over her eyes, as though she would drive from them some unwanted vision. "'Good morning, Agatha,' she said gently. "'I come in,' Agatha said huskily, moving towards the table, "'to ask you about the money. Is it all right?' "'The money?' "'Yes, the money your cousin left you.' "'I was wrong about that. He hasn't left me any money.' "'He hasn't?' "'No.' He didn't do what he said he would. I was silly to believe in it. He's left you nothing? Something of his to remember him by. I chose a little thing of his, this matchbox. And that's all? Yes, why should he? I was only his cousin. It was very kind of him to think of me. Then he cheated you. Oh, no, I cheated myself. It was only one day he was feeling kindly. I happened to be there. He would have said it to anyone else who was kind to him. I say he cheated you. Agatha Payne's voice was hoarse with anger. He said you give it to you. He made a solemn promise. May he rot in hell, I say. Mrs. Amorous was frightened. She had known for a long time that the woman was queer, but there was something about that tall, fat, shapeless figure standing now right over her, something in those staring black eyes and that deep reverberating voice that filled her with a new alarm. The woman was mad. Mrs. Amherst wanted to be alone. What had anyone else to do with her affairs? She must think things out. She was face to face with the sharpest crisis of her life but it was her crisis. No one else had anything to do with it. Why should it be of importance to Agatha Payne, whether she had her money or no? She felt, too, in the last fierce words that the woman had used, some sudden obtrusion from another world of experience that had not been, and never could be, her own. She had called her Agatha, and had been called by her Lucy, but she had been always aware that there could be no real contact between them, and now she seemed to see, in a flash of revelation, that Agatha Payne's past had been worlds away from her most esoteric imagination. There were twists of a life that was as strange to her as the manners and customs of the natives of Central Africa. 
it's kind of you to be interested agatha she said but there's nothing more to be said about it it was only an idea that i had that he might leave me something i shouldn't have spoken to you about it no you should not the other woman turned savagely upon her making me believe things that were not true it's wicked a wicked shame and you'll pay for it no one's deceived me yet and not paid for it you just wait she threw up her head as though she would spit upon her then half lurched half stumbled from the room back in her own place she cursed and swore like the old gypsy that she was that mild milk-faced old woman had taken her in pretending this and pretending that just to make herself more important she had always known that no money was coming to her talked like that to amuse herself amuse herself she had amused her before she was finished with her her knees were trembling and she flopped into her chair the fish came out of the tank and swam circling about her head miranda like some familiar spirit sat and watched her her beady eyes fixed in some sort of grim satisfaction upon her flight the sharp pain constricted about her head binding it ever and ever more tightly then slowly it withdrew thoughts moved clearly and steadily once more through the air that was now cooler and the light that was now stronger mrs amorous faded into dim background but more powerfully than ever before the piece of red amber shone before her eyes what is this lust of possession this ache and longing for the absolute power of dominion napoleon moving towards moscow philip the second stretching his fingers over the netherlands the vineyard of naboth marie antoinette and her fatal necklace pimenti and the box of medors agatha payne and her piece of red amber the soul alone knoweth its secret tyrannies she sat there all day until evening she sprawled back in her chair and saw it gleaming there on her mantelpiece in front of her surely it was there she knew now its every shade and glitter and trembling light well if there was to be no money there was the other way the Barringer woman should give it to her whether she wanted or no yes if she must wring that scraggy old neck to get it she got up at last and made herself some cocoa then moved out towards may Barringer's room she stayed outside the door and gave two knocks one loud and abrupt the other soft and echo of the first while she stood there a smile was on her lips that will make her jump that will make her jump she's frightened now she knows it's me and her dog is frightened he knows too he's under the bed on her side of the door she fancied that she could hear the other woman's frightened breathing sharp and hurried she's standing there with her head on one side waiting she hopes i'll go away she's praying that i will then she knocked again loudly come in said the whisper of a voice she pushed open the door and went in with jollity laughing well miss Barringer, and how are you finding yourself i thought i'd pay you a little call i've just drunk my cup of cocoa and half an hour's talk with you before going to bed will do me good she moved across the room as though she owned it and pulling out the roomiest chair plumped down in it she sat in her accustomed attitude one knee over the other her eyes were fixed on the red amber that now was in shadow and glowed a smouldering ruby that was the pedestal the dragon stood translucent gold 
May Barringer, untidy, confused, stood like an owl bewildered by unexpected light. Her hand was at her thin, bony breast. I'm not so well, thank you, she said. She looked indeed today infinitely old and worn. I haven't been sleeping too well. She broke then with a kind of hurried speech, as though she had but little time, into a most eager appeal. M Mrs. Payne, to tell me, why are you persecuting me like this? Why do you come to my room? Why did you knock on my wall last night? I haven't done anything to harm you. I haven't hurt you in any way. I never saw you before I came here. I never interfered with you. I know it's silly of me to go on like this, but I haven't been sleeping. She broke off. She had been struggling with her tears. They came now trickling through her hands that she pressed to her face. She collapsed onto a chair and sat there, her head forward. Mrs. Payne said nothing. The dog appeared from under the bed. After hesitating a moment, he came forward slowly and pressed himself, all huddled up, against his mistress's foot. She looked up and went on slowly, jabbing a rather dirty handkerchief against her nose. I know it's silly of me to go on like this. It's foolish of me and weak, I know, but I'm really not well. If I don't get my sleep, my health always suffers. You must excuse me. I'm not so young as I used to be. I've been feeling much older this winter. Why don't you leave me alone? I've done you no harm. Agatha Payne was savoring an exquisite and delicious pleasure as she watched her. It was not a pleasure of cruelty nor of passion, but rather of power, and also of a deep consciousness of sensation. She almost liked May Beringer as she sat there sniveling, a very little more, and she could have gone and put her arms around her and comforted her. But she had not known many sensations in the last year or two, only her cards and her food and her cup of cocoa. She was happy now, as she had not been for many a day. At last she spoke in her strange bass voice, deep like a man's. "'You are imagining things,' she said. "'You are ill. The card said you were going to be.' "'That's it,' May Beringer broke out. "'Why did you show them to me? What made you? I know I'm silly if you put things into my head. I always was as a girl. I've been like that ever since I was a child. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die.' Her voice was almost a scream. The cards say so, Agatha Payne answered slowly. I didn't make em come as they did. Miss Barringer turned and looked at the other woman with a considering gaze, as though she were seeing her for the first time. Why do you hate me? I've never done you any harm. You came here. I didn't ask you to come. I came because I wanted to be kind to you, because I thought you were lonely. I'm not lonely, May Beringer broke out desperately. I'm not at all. I don't want anybody. I can get on by myself. I like you, said Agatha Payne, smiling. I like to be with you. I enjoy our little talks. Perhaps I'm the lonely one. No, you're not, said May Beringer excitedly. You're not lonely at all. But you want to tease me and frighten me, and you want something else. You want my piece of amber. Mrs. Payne said nothing. That's what you want. You can't deny it. But you won't have it. However much you want it, I'll put the police after you if you take it. I'll have you put in prison. Yes, I will. I'll have you put in prison. She was in a state of terrible excitement. Who says that I want it? said Agatha Payne quietly. You have strange ideas in your head. You are ill. You should see a doctor. 
may beringer made a great effort at control she sat staring in front of her as though she were summoning all her forces to her aid at last more quietly she said yes i, I am ill at least not well my back is very painful then she added with real dignity i think we cannot be friends we are too unlike one another i am an old woman now and it's too late to change myself and i'm easily frightened perhaps at nothing i don't know but i do ask you not to come and visit me any more when you're ill said mrs Payne, in bed and can't move you'll want somebody you'll be glad to see me perhaps i'm not going to be ill do you hear i'm not going to be ill i know you want me to be ill you're wishing me to be ill now but i won't be ill you want me to die and then you can have the piece of amber but i'm not going to die it's only my back that will be better to-morrow and i'm going to sleep even though you do knock on the wall knock on the wall repeated agatha Payne scornfully who says i knock on the wall you do you know you do may beringer cried rising to her feet she pointed to the door i don't want you in here you are not to come again it's my room i can have whom i like i forbid you to come any more agatha Payne nodded her head i shall come when i like she said you can't stop me then she added slowly but if you'll give me that piece of amber i won't come any more may beringer snatched it from the mantelpiece as though she feared that it would vanish from before her face nobody shall have it she said it's the only thing i've got agatha Payne rose slowly and went to the door we'll see she said we'll see there was no knocking on the wall that night and may beringer fell into a strange heavy confused sleep in which dreams were forever forming a tapestry of illusion near her showing her their sombre and kindling colour but always distant and indistinct the piece of amber was there and jane betts and pip and behind these a dark lowering sense of danger she did not wake when mrs bloxham brought her her tea and it was midday when that kind woman finally roused her with a shake on the shoulder telling her that the sun was shining and that she had brought her a fresh cup not wishing to disturb her earlier she seemed so proper drowsy she awoke with a great start sitting up in bed with a consciousness that something terrible had happened to her what was it ah oh, of course she knew she must escape from here dreadful danger was hanging over her head she must be away but how when where while mrs bloxham was scattering about the room making things a little brighter and more comfortable she was endeavouring to compose her brain she sat up in bed her hands to her head her brain worked so slowly now she could not see clearly things would not hang together but one fact was plain she must leave this house and at once she could not be another night under the same roof with that terrible wicked woman and she must escape secretly no one must know otherwise that woman would find out where she had gone and would follow her she must return to st lennon the place that she ought never to have left to her old friend with whom she had lodged for so long she would find work there there must be something that she could do even though it were only to sweep the floor were her back not so painful there were many things that she could do she seemed filled with energy under the impulse of her terror if only she might escape from this house never to see its walls again she was now in a fever of agitation she seemed to be in a moment 
practical and far-seeing when did the trains go to st lennon the day was moving on the afternoons at this time of the year were very short she must be away before dusk she was out of bed and moving rapidly about the room a strange figure with her long sloping body her loosened gray hair moving restlessly from spot to spot in her gray flannel light dress and her old bedroom slippers why miss whatever is the matter mrs bloxham asked realizing her agitation mrs bloxham miss beringer said catching the other's stout arm have you got such a thing as a timetable about you about me miss said mrs bloxham slapping her dirty apron no miss i can't say that i have do you think you could get one for me a timetable miss mrs bloxham was all eyes why you'll catch your death of cold wandering about like that miss here let me get you your woolly waistcoat a timetable well i'm sure i don't know a local miss yes a glebeshire one well i'm sure i don't know mrs carstairs next door might have one do go and see won't you please do go and see whether you can get one a glebeshire one all the trains in glebeshire it's so important at once now please oh please at once miss and your fire ain't lit and you haven't drunk a drop of your tea oh never mind about that please don't bother about that if you'd only go at once well i'm sure why are you going away miss yes i am i must i'm not well here i must go away at once and mrs bloxham i'll pay you your wages up to the end of the week i'm so sorry to leave you you've been so kind to me but i have to go away at once without losing a minute well miss i'm sure it don't matter about the bit of wages but going out on an afternoon like this and you as delicate as you are i shouldn't like it's all right it is really it's perfectly all right i'm going to friends but whatever will you do about your things you can't take them all with you sudden like i'll send for them i'll give you an address to send them to but please please get me a timetable and don't say a word to anybody not a word i do beg you not to say a word to anybody miss beringer had been pouring all this forth in an agitated whisper looking at every instant towards the door as though expecting it to open and reveal the hated figure mrs bloxham patted her on the shoulder there there don't you worry i'll get you the timetable after she was gone may beringer dressed pulling on her clothes as though she had but a moment to escape and talking as was her habit in the same agitated whisper to pip who followed her every movement with anxious nervous eyes we mustn't stay pip we mustn't indeed she'll do some harm if we do she'll do us both harm you know you're as afraid of her as i am she hates us both pip and she wants to steal our things she's a bad woman pip she'd be a thief if she could she's a bad wicked woman but she's not going to get what she wants we'll get out of her way and go back to our friends who'll be so glad to see us and you'll be able to have exercise as you ought to and run on the sands again you'll like that won't you pip and we won't be frightened any more if only my back didn't hurt pip we could have such a good time perhaps it will be better when we are beside the sea again the sea air always did us good didn't it pip when mrs bloxham returned may beringer was wearing her hat and was quite ready to go out have you got it mrs bloxham she asked in a whisper yes miss i've got it it's an old one last november but i dare say the trains are the same i expect they are she clutched at the little green flimsy timetable and began eagerly to turn the pages here we are 
she read down the page yes there's a train at three thirty there are very few trains i mustn't miss that one it seems to be the last three thirty and it's now quarter past two that will do very nicely what will you do about your bag miss you can't carry it all that way by yourself oh no mrs bloxham i shall only take this small bag and i'll catch the omnibus at the corner of malpa street that will be quite easy and now mrs bloxham i do beg of you not to say a word to anybody in any case not to-day will you promise me that oh yes miss i promise and i'll write to you from where i'm going so that you can send the other things on and here's your money she opened her old faded green purse and counted out the money then followed a very touching little scene mrs bloxham begging her to keep it until she could afford to pay her or at least until the end of her journey but may Beringer was firm mrs bloxham must be paid they then shook hands i'm sure miss i wish you every kind of good fortune mrs bloxham said oh thank you mrs bloxham you've been a very kind friend left alone she paused and listened her hard ugly black straw hat a little askew on her head pip's chain in her hand there was no sound no one was moving through the house the woman had left her alone for that time at least she had pushed things into her shabby black handbag helter-skelter then feverishly pressed its gaping lips together and insisted on their closing with the same excitement she affixed the chain to pip's collar while he stood by little shivers of excitement shuddering along his body then very softly she opened the door peered out saw nobody and on tiptoe started toward the stairs arrived in the square the sun round and orange above the crooked roofs she looked for a moment back at the house grim and grey above her the windows blind-eyed in its ancient corpse-like body oh might she never see it again that was her prayer never never she would like to have said good-bye to mrs amherst who had been kind to her but she would write to her from st lennon when safe and secure she could snap her fingers at her recent terrors she heard the cathedral clock ringing out the hour and in a panic scurried down the square dragging pip after her the bag was heavy her back seemed to have a red-hot needle thrust through its spine but the thought of her escape heartened her to the forgetting of all ills she stood at the corner of malpa street breathing heavily waiting for the omnibus a new alarm beset her perhaps they did not allow dogs in omnibuses whatever then should she do she had not money for a cab there would not be time to walk tears filled her eyes and as though he realized that he was the cause of the trouble pip gazed up at her with beseeching gaze the omnibus came lolloping up and she was glad to see that there were but two passengers inside it and the conductor was a fresh-faced kindly-looking young man oh i do hope you don't mind a dog she panted at him it's only as far as the station well it's not strictly allowed he said trying to look severely at her but pulling the string to send the omnibus farther on its journey but it's for the other passengers to say if they object oh i do hope that you don't object said miss beringer jerked down on to her seat they were now crossing the cobbles of the market-place i'm only going as far as the station and he's a very well-behaved little dog you can see how well-behaved he is the two passengers were a stout man with a red face who simply nodded his head in a dignified manner but said nothing and a young woman with a face like an apple and a hearty smile 
she said that she liked dogs and that her husband had several and that he was a dear little fellow and he reminded her of a dog that her father had had once who had also been a dear little fellow and had been run over by a butcher's cart which was the worst of keeping pets because something dreadful always happened to them watch them as you might the friendliness of the omnibus cheered miss beringer considerably and with every jerk she was taking a farther step from the enemy it was the hour before the winter dusk and all the town was bathed in a yellow opalescent shadow houses and doors and windows were transfigured as the omnibus climbed the hill to the station the hills and fields beyond seatown came into view swimming in golden air the river flashed like a bar of music heard unexpectedly the houses darkened even as they passed them we're a long way over the shortest day said the amiable young woman but it doesn't seem to make much difference up on the hill where the station was there was a blowing hearty air the station platform was exposed and you could see from it low levels of green fields a wood now purple dark and a cottage silver in the early dusk there was no one about she sank down onto the hard platform seat gathering pip into her skirt every bone in her body was aching and she seemed to have so many bones more than the average number she was sure she would not buy her ticket for a moment there was plenty of time she liked to look across to the quiet fields and the masts of trees black and silver against the orange sky so peaceful and so quiet after the last days and nights it was past three o'clock but there was plenty of time there was no movement about the station a train against a side platform whistled and jolted away a porter passed looked at her for a moment and then walked on she sat in a sort of blissful dream the thought of returning to st lennon was wonderful to her indeed she should never have left it the fear that she might not be able to earn her living seemed to disturb her no longer she had not in any case she suspected very long to live this afternoon tired out bathed in the fading sunshine the pains in her back and at her heart gradually receding she did not seem to care if she had not long to live at least she would die then among friends with pip and her bit of amber and the long seashore and the rumble of the waves she sank into a sort of doze her head nodding forward on her breast then woke with a start what if she should have missed her train she hastened up dragging pip after her she hurried into the ticket office and fumbling in her purse said sharply through the little window a third single to st lennon and a dog ticket please there was a pause and then a very abstracted voice answered her where did you say madam st lennon please and a dog ticket the abstracted voice answered her no train to st lennon to-day last left ten minutes ago three o five she had not heard his words meant nothing third single to st lennon please she repeated a bearded spectacled face appeared then at the window no further train to st lennon to-day madam last went ten minutes ago three o five fear surged down upon her oh but there must be i looked at the time-table it said three thirty truly it did changed first of january there was a three thirty changed to three o five terror had her by the throat she stammered sorry madam no further trains to st lennon to-day the bearded face withdrew 
she turned round a porter was passing she stopped him oh, oh porter please surely it can't be true there must be a train to st lennon at three thirty he was a kindly man he smiled at her genially sorry mum changed first of january oh what shall i do what, what shall i do it's dreadfully important i get there today what can i do well mum you could um, let me see he consulted the page of train times on the board difficult place to get at st lennon you could take the six o'clock to pentecost and catch the saint bolles four thirty no you couldn't neither that'd be too late you could i'm blowed if i see what you can do to-day mum there's the six-thirty to-morrow morning the six-thirty to-morrow morning the six-thirty to-morrow morning oh what could she do sit in the station all day and all night she had not money for an hotel she had no friends no one the only thing was to go back she stood looking out onto the station square now quite deserted through the silence a summons as if it were a fate came to her she bowed her head and slowly pip close to her side she crossed the square End of chapter eight